0: What is this? you're failing three classes. yeah well, maybe that's what it is Oh man I don't know which way to turn. It's like I always told you man. All roads lead to God. Far out, man. Oh no! Ew, you're gonna eat that? Yeah, YOLO. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to church. We're so glad that you're here with us today. We would like to welcome our our cactus, our venue, and our chapel communities as they join us via video now, as well as our online community, which has continued to grow over the years. And uh, it's a privilege to be here with you and be pastoring you today, even if it's online. And so we're just glad that you're with us. Uh, I wanna celebrate something real quick before we get started into our message for the day. And and that thing is going to be that on May 3rd, it's our national day of prayer. And and that's a fun thing to celebrate. It's something that we get to look at and and say, this is kind of a thing that if if people should be praying anywhere on May 3rd, uh, I believe it's in the church. Do you guys uh, agree with that statement? Is that? Both of you do, good, great. I'll be the third to to clap and to celebrate that. But in in 1988, this was signed into practice, and and it's been affirmed by every president since then that we do have a national day of prayer. And this year's theme is unity, so what we're gonna do is we're gonna gather here at Scottsdale Bible, and we're gonna pray and ask God to move in our nation, our community, as well as our hearts. And here's really what I, I wanna focus on today. I wanna focus on the fact that typically, uh, we're a church of anywhere from seven to 10,000 people, depending on which Sunday you catch us on. And, uh, and what happens is when we do a prayer and a worship night, anywhere from six to 700 people show up. Do you guys see a problem with that math? It means about 10% of us are committed to worship and prayer when we get together to do that. And, and so my challenge to you is just pretty simple. Can you make this a priority? And not just for like the, hey, we we like when people show up to things. Uh, What we like to see is God's heart reflected in his people. And so that's really the encouragement and the challenges on May 3rd, and I don't wanna say it a bunch, everybody hates those radio commercials where it's like May 3rd, May 3rd, but I do wanna remind you that on May 3rd, May 3rd, (laughs) we're gonna get together, we're gonna worship and pray, and we hope that you'll be here to do that with us. Today we're gonna continue in our Dangerous Saying series, and and this week what we're gonna look at is the the saying, all roads lead to God. And Jamie, Pastor Jamie, uh, said this in, in our first week in this series. He said, listen, I'm not opposed to any of these sayings. I don't hate any of these sayings. Well, maybe except one that I'm opposed to. And it's this saying, all roads lead to God. And I couldn't agree with him more. I do think that there are some dangerous things in this saying and what I'd like to do today is kinda walk through why I agree with Pastor Jamie in regards to this saying. Uh, To start us, I'd like to talk about an experience that I had two years ago. I was in Wiesla, Poland, and I'd been invited to speak at the European Leadership Forum. Some of you have gone and volunteered with our church over there. It's a fantastic organization that gathers all of Europe's young leaders, and it gives them kind of a week where their job is to just be there and be poured into. Because many of these leaders are in a place where they're the only Christian within like 50 miles. And so it's an opportunity for them to come and be cared for. So as someone who goes to volunteer, it's wonderful because you get to care for someone. You can almost watch them. It's a struggle sometimes to like, oh, all right, I got to not try to care for you. I have to let you care for me. And so I'd gone and I'd done that. I taught a pre-forum lecture and that was over. And my job now was to just sit back, care for others, and to get to listen to some of the incredible teaching, which for that week, our plenary speaker or our primary speaker was John Piper. Some of you have heard of him. He had a small ministry impact kind of here in the in the States, but um, Dr. Piper was there and he taught all week through the book of Philippians. And if I'm being honest with you, uh, I don't remember a lot of what he said about Philippians that that week, but I do remember and will never forget this. He said, one of the worst things that you can do when you're on stage is to draw people's attention to you, because you could be drawing their attention away from the very one who was designed to satiate their soul. And as a young pastor, that just hit me right through the heart. It just, all of a sudden I sat there and just went, gosh, is there any way, Lord, where I am drawing people's attention away from you and onto me? So one of the prayers that I pray before I get on stage anytime to to speak or or to preach a sermon like today is just, "God, God, my prayer is just that they would leave going, did you hear about Jesus? I learned something about Jesus rather than, did you hear Rustin today? because I'm not gonna help anybody get anywhere. But Jesus could have a deep and eternal impact on their soul. He was designed to satiate them in a way that I never will. And I think there's something in that for us today as we look at this, do all roads lead to God? One of the things I'd tell you is if if you're anywhere on a Scottsdale Bible campus or watching online today, if you're sitting back and you're going, I have a God concept that is completely divorced from the Bible, It's detached. I I don't really need the Bible to make my God concept work. It's a higher power, and and I don't really need any of that to make sense. The Bible refers to that God in a specific way. It always refers to it as a lowercase g-o-d God. And what I'll tell you up front is I'm not going to fight you for your lowercase g God today because there's just not time. I'm not gonna make that case from the Bible because it wouldn't matter for you. I intend to tell you why I haven't chosen that path for my life, but if what you're saying in the phrase, all roads lead to God, is that all roads lead to the God of the Bible, then I do have something to say about that. And I'd like to sit back and show you how two things today don't allow for that to be true. And the two things we're gonna look at is we're gonna look at God's heart, which is gonna take a little bit of time, And then we'll look at how very clearly God's Word says that's not really an option. So that's what we're gonna walk through today as I intend to show you, I don't want you to ever be distracted by a small G God concept as you walk towards the big G God of the Bible. But let's do this before we get started. Let's pray. So Jesus, what we ask today is kind of knowing where we're going Would you come in and do what only you can do? Would you open hearts? Uh, For for those who have a relationship with you as we walk through some of these different concepts, these things that might be in our way of experiencing you in in a fullness, and for those who are in this room today who, who don't know you and maybe need to hear a side of you that they've never heard before, would you begin to open their hearts to show uh, your true nature, your true character to them uh, as we walk through these passages. Uh, we pray this in your name, amen. So here's what we're gonna do today. We're gonna go back to the Old Testament and we're gonna look at a passage that I've come to really appreciate, but I think it's part of what we sometimes misunderstand about God. We're gonna go back to the book of Jeremiah. We're gonna be in chapter three. So if you've got your Bibles, you can start to make your way there. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at some things about God, but this is kind of a a little bit of history. We're looking at a nation's history when we look at much of the Old Testament. It's the the, the history of the nation of Israel. But where we're at right now, even the term Israel can be kind of confusing. God's been really faithful to his people up to this point. He has brought them out of Egypt. He's provided for them for 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, which wasn't his fault, it was theirs. He brought them to the promised land and then he gave them victory after victory as they took the land and then kind of started to settle in there. And now once they were in the promised land, they have turned from worshiping him and have turned to pagan fertility gods who which they engaged in sexual worship and practice. It's at this point where God had seen that they weren't gonna turn from that and turn back to him and he gave them over to what their consequences had rendered for them. And now, this kind of understanding of Israel is tricky because at one point, we had some great kings in Israel. We had David, we had Solomon, and all 12 tribes were gathered under one unified king. And about after Solomon, things got weird. They didn't really continue down the path. There wasn't a unity, and they split at one point. 10 tribes went to the north. They were referred to as Israel. Two tribes, both Benjamin and Judah, were to the south, the sister of Israel, and that was the tribe of Judah, made up of two of the 12 tribes. And that's where we sit at this current point. The book of Jeremiah was written in about 627 BC, so that's our place in history. And what's happened at this point is that Israel, to the north, has engaged in all of this worship of these pagan gods. They've given themselves over to another and worshiped in all these high hills and high places. And what happened is God finally went, okay, enough's enough, you're not turning. And so they got conquered by the Assyrians. And for about 100 years at this point in 627, they have been away in captivity, in exile with the Assyrians. And what's happening now is that the the prophet Jeremiah God has sent to come back and to carry a message to the tribe of Judah. And let's see what that prophet had to say in Jeremiah three, verses six through 10. It says this, during the reign of King Josiah, the Lord said to me, have you seen what faithless Israel has done? She has gone up on every high hill and under every spreading tree and has committed adultery there. I thought that after she had done all this, she would return to me, but she did not and her unfaithful sister Judah saw it. I gave faithless Israel her certificate of divorce and sent her away because of all of her adulteries. Yet I saw that her unfaithful sister Judah had no fear. She also went out and committed adultery because Israel's immorality mattered so little to her, she defiled the land and committed adultery with stone and wood. In spite of all this, her unfaithful sister Judah did not return to me with all her heart, but only in pretense, declares the Lord. Now, I read a specific translation of this. I read the ESV because it's sort of the PG version of what this passage actually reads. A lot of times people are like, the Bible's kind of boring, doesn't have interesting stuff to say. Well, here's how this reads in the original Hebrew. The way that you can translate this phrase Uh, committed adultery. The word that the scriptures actually use, and I have a point with this, I'm not being unintentionally provocative, but committed adulteries is actually the phrase, went up on high places and played the whore. You see, there's a reality today, church, that God uses some extremely serious language for an extremely serious topic. God is looking at Judah and going, you don't understand. This thing that you've done, it's a a horrible thing. And just to kind of put this in perspective for us, many of you I I see sitting next to spouses here in this room. I want you to imagine for just a moment if that spouse had ever turned to another, they'd ever looked to another for comfort or for care, how that would make you feel. For some of you, what I know is that that's not something you have to imagine. You've experienced that in your marriage. There's some of you who are sitting back saying, I haven't experienced that, but just even the thought of it makes me cringe. What I need you to see in today's passage is that what God is doing here is sitting back and saying, I need you to understand what this was to me. This is not just some random metaphor where God is sitting back and saying, I didn't care, this didn't matter to me. I'm an impersonal God, and so I really am not affected when you do things and you turn from me. very personal God of the Bible, the God who feels, is sitting back and saying, I felt this, you grieved me greatly. Some of you go, well, God doesn't feel. If you believe that, if you believe God doesn't have passions, God doesn't feel, I need you to reconcile that today because the Bible supports something very different. In Isaiah 62, God rejoices. In Psalm 78, he is grieved. In Exodus 32, he burns against, his wrath burns against his enemies. In Psalm 103, he pities his children, and in Isaiah 54, he loves with an everlasting love. What I need you to see today, church, is that God feels. In fact, what I'd submit to you is, the reason you have emotions, the reason you have feelings, is because they are a broken reflection of God. You see, God has all of these things. He just does them perfectly. A great clarification for us today is you don't feel how he feels, but you feel because he feels. Each and every one of us, we sit back. We, 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 again, we implement a broken version of it. It is oftentimes rooted and driven, motivated by self, rather than God, who is motivated by something entirely different. What God is saying here is this. He's saying, listen, Israel, you belonged to me. I made you for me and yet you've given yourself over to another. Do you not know from our experience that I am not only good to you, but I am good for you? How could you have done this? This is playing off of something that God's already made explicitly clear to his people. In Exodus 20, as he has delivered them out of this horrible scenario in Egypt under the Pharaohs where they were slaves, They were being used just as manual labor. What God comes in and says in Exodus 20 is he says, you shall not bow down to them or worship them. He's talking about other gods. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. You see, when God does emotions perfectly, it's different than us. I don't know of anybody who has said to me this year, in 2018, one of my resolutions is to become more jealous. I'm working on that. I'm gonna try and step up my jealousy, see if I can get that going. Why? Because we're like, that's not a good thing. And, and you'd be right. But there's a reality that the way that God does jealousy is completely different. One, God is jealous for the worship of his people because first and foremost, he's deserving of it. He, he's perfect and righteous and what he knows is, listen, I, I deserve this and so I, I won't share you in that way. We know that the end of the story reads that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. At some point, all will recognize that. That's how the story ends. But the part about God's jealousy that most of us never see is the fact that his jealousy is best for you. Rustin, what do you mean? That doesn't make any sense. Well, God's jealousy is perfect, and and here's why. Because when he sits back and says, I'm jealous for you, it's for the reason because he knows no one else will ever be able to love you the way that he can love you. You see, his jealousy is also on your behalf. It sits back and it says, oh, no, no. You see, you don't realize that there is a me shaped hole in you and nothing else will ever fill it. None of your small G gods, none of your other little idols in your life will ever fill that space. You wanna know how I know? Because I created you. And when I created you, I made a space for me. And I can't wait to come in. Will you let me? Will you let me into your life? Because I'm jealous for that space. And that jealousy is perfect. God will not allow us to settle for a lesser love. As we look at this, I wanna take a minute, because we kinda need to apply this to our lives before we go any further. Israel never stopped being God's people. Do we understand that? He, he, he sent them away, but they didn't stop being his people, but they were running down a wrong road. Even when you hear this passage, what's so beautiful about it is the fact that God says, listen, even once you did this horrible thing, what I thought was, I thought you'd come back to me. He was gracious, even in the way that he looked at this atrocity that they were doing. He said, I thought you'd come back. And what God finally realized is you're not coming back. And so I have to do something. I have to turn you over to the Assyrians. That's all that will change your heart. Here's the question. If God's people in the Old Testament were capable of running down a wrong road, my question for us today, myself included, even as I prepared this message, are there things in your life today that you are worshiping instead of your perfect, loving, jealous heavenly father? There's a lot of ways this could work itself out. It might be that secret sin or that habitual thing that just has never really left. It started when you were a kid. You thought by you know, your 20s, your 30s, your 40s, it would go, but it's still here alive and well in your life today. Maybe it's time to take that passage in James seriously where he says, listen, confess your sins to one another, and then it describes some healing that happens in our lives. It doesn't tell us what the healing is. It just says, when you're in community and I am present and you get real in a safe place, I will work through that to heal your broken heart. Maybe it's good things in your life. By that, I mean it's things that you need. They're necessary things like food or relationships or exercise, but those things are out of balance. They've taken an unnecessary level of priority in your life. And it's time to bring them back to the Lord and say, I'm giving this over, will you give it back in a way that works, fully submitted to you? This may be a challenging one, but I think it's a deceptive level of a small G road that we think may be fruitful for us, but isn't. It could be best things, necessary things for your spiritual growth, but you might be going to them for the wrong reason. Judah, this passage is super interesting in verse 10. It says, in spite of all this, her unfaithful sister, Judah, it did not return to me with all her heart, but only in pretense. What's that mean? Well, what happened in the history was that one of Judah's kings sat back and said, whoa, God is good and serious about this us worshiping other people. So we need to make some changes. Uh, We need to kind of take some things and, and stop doing the sexual worship thing and let's come in and let's bring out the altars and start the sacrifices again. Let's go from there, get out the prayer cloths, get out everything that we need and let's start doing the right stuff. What did God have to say about that? Well, she came back in part. What's he mean? Action. What didn't she bring with her? Her heart. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you're going through and you're serving every week. Maybe you're reading your Bible. Maybe you're even in a worship service all the time, but your heart is somewhere else. It doesn't really belong or is focused on God today because that's exactly what Judah did. Again, God's people doing the right things, but for the wrong reason. Or what about this? Let's take a look at John 5:39. Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees when he says this, and he says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. You search the scriptures because you think they have eternal life. You wanna know something? The Pharisees could have preached this sermon better than me they would have sat back and said, oh, Jeremiah, yeah, no, we know all about Jeremiah. We can tell you everything you would have ever needed to know about where Israel was at. Matter of fact, some of its leaders were my great granddad's granddad. We know them all. And yet Jesus says, yeah, no, those same scriptures, yeah, those, if you go to them for the wrong reason, if you make them the point, the end of your worship and your focus and you don't make them a pathway to me, You are searching for life in something that was never designed to provide it. Here's a question, church. Are you going to your Bible? Are you going to your doctrine? Are you going to your theological understanding to try and find life? Because here's what I'll submit to you will happen if that's the case. If you go to even best things, but you make them the end of the road, and Jesus is something you talk about, you're gonna have a difficult process take place. You're gonna sit back and you're gonna start having all of these different things open up. I know my Bible verses and I got this verse and what I'm gonna do with it is I'm gonna memorize these and put them over here. These bricks are now going into place. And I got my doctrine, I'm gonna put those bricks in place too and then all my theology that fits really well and you start building a wall and the design of this wall is to sit back so that if somebody ever comes to you and says, hey, brother, I'm starting to see some pride in your life, you can go, oh, 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 I got a verse for that. Here's why I'm not prideful. Here's why you're prideful. I got something over here in my doctrine or in my theology. Don't you know this? Don't you know that? And what happens is right things, good things, essential things, but for the wrong reason, start to build a wall of protection around you that makes you unreachable. You know what that wall's called? It's called legalism. And if we're not careful, we are super susceptible to the small g road of being God's people, but we are so legalistically walled in, so religiously walled in, that we are practiced with no power. Mm, Let's not do that. Because the reality is, and this is a great litmus test for us today, your doctrine, your Bible, and your theology should cause something in your life to happen, it should be to fall deeper in love with Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. If it is not leading to love, and it is leading to something like I just described, you might be running down a road that the Pharisees have been on before. Satan doesn't have a lot of tricks, but he uses them over and over again, and he knows time's on his side. Yep, 2,600 years ago, I got the Pharisees with this one. They lost love, they fell out of love, they settled for a lesser love of legalism and religion. Best definition for religion I've ever heard, it's a powerless form. Don't get distracted with a powerless practice. Now, I can't convict your heart on this anymore, and I'm not indicting anyone today, I'm not sitting back going, you know, undoubtedly you, you sir, fourth row, that's not the point of this. Fourth row, you're okay. Um, The point is to say this, if if the Lord's doing something in your heart right now, instead of grabbing your iPhone and firing up an email saying, Rustin said it was sinful to to, read my Bible, that's not what I'm saying, and you know it, but if you send that email, you might be indicting yourself for the very thing that I just talked about, because you wanna protect yourself. All I'm submitting to you today is that this is a difficult road, one we can get distracted on, but if this sounds like you, here's what I need you to hear today. I need you to understand that whether any one of these little categories of distraction, any one of these little small Gs within the church is distracting you, there is always hope. At the end of every biblical challenging conviction, there's always hope. Why is there hope? Well, let's take a look because the God of the Bible has been betrayed. The God of the Bible has felt that betrayal. And now we need to see how the God of the Bible deals with those who betray him. At Jeremiah three, let's go to verse 12 and we'll read through 14. Go proclaim this message toward the north. Who's in the north? Say Israel. Good, you're still with me, that's a wonderful treat. All right, go proclaim this message toward the north. Return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will frown on you no longer, for I am faithful, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever, only acknowledge your guilt. You have rebelled against the Lord, your God. You have scattered your favors to foreign gods. Under every spreading tree, you have not obeyed me, declares the Lord. Return faithless people, declares the Lord. And my favorite part, for I am your husband. I will choose you, one from a town and two from a clan, and bring you to Zion. What is Zion? That is the Lord's place. What is he saying? Even after you've done this thing, even after you've gone away, even after I have felt, I have grieved your departure and your waywardness, even after that, I am your husband, I am faithful. When you aren't, when you are at your worst, I am always at my best. I am merciful, declares the Lord your God. God's unchanging. So many times the Old Testament gets a bad rap. Oh yeah, no, the Old Testament, you mean where God was really mad for a really long time, but then Jesus showed up and it's all good news. No, 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 do you hear the love story? It's the same. God's character has not changed through the ages. Psalm 102 says, of old you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They pass away, but you are the same and your years have no end. God is unchanging. He was the same way in 627 that he was here in the first century, John 8. We go forward now. 627 BC, now we're in the New Testament. The Pharisees, same group of guys that make mistakes all over the place, they bring a woman trapped in adultery to Jesus. Jesus is sitting there teaching. And they look at him and they go, hey, listen, this woman's been caught in adultery. You gotta imagine, she was shaking like a leaf. Uh, she's been caught in adultery and so the, the, the law that Moses gave us says we should stone her. What do you say? Jesus sits back and kind of goes, well, let any one of you who's without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. They all start to walk away and I love this detail in the text. It says the oldest first and then all the way to the youngest. (laughs) I I guess the older guys had lived enough life to realize, yeah, that's not me, I got sin. And they started to depart. I, I guess the younger guys, it took a little time for them to figure that out. Now they've been cleared away, Jesus is sitting there. It's just him and her. The rubber has met the road and she is face to face with Jesus. And he says, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. He responded with this. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Do you see what's going on here? This is a, a shining example of the character of God, the, the way that God cares for wayward children. Israel rebels in adultery against God and gives herself to another. God is merciful and calls her back as the loving husband. This woman rebels in adultery against her husband and an offense punishable by death. She was moments from losing her life. Jesus clears away her accusers, saving her life in the process, and his message is exactly the same. God's character shows through Jesus the same way it did lovingly in the Old Testament. I could take that Jeremiah verse and read it right over there, just replacing faithless Israel for faithless woman. Listen to this. Return, faithless woman, declares the Lord. I will frown on you no longer. I am faithful, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever, only acknowledge your guilt. What does Jesus ask her to do before she leaves? Turn from your life of sin. Why, what's he jealous for? No, no, no. I don't want you to get distracted with adultery. I have a better way. In me is a place that adultery will not fill in you. Here's the reality, and this is understanding God's heart today. It does take a bit, because it's not quite as clear as his word, at least to explain. I want you to understand that it's God's heart that makes you unshareable with another God. He will not share you. His jealousy is for you and his place in your heart will be filled by no other, but it's his heart today that is saying, I will not share you, I want all of you, and I won't settle for anything less. I won't participate in a relationship that is anything other than monogamous, and that's in your best interest. So that's what God's heart has to say on the topic. What does God's word have to say? And for that, I wanna look at three verses. The first is Acts 4.12. God's word said, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So we must be saved by a name. We must be saved by one name. What is that name? Well, I'm so glad you asked. Let's look at John 14.6. Jesus is speaking and he says this, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That road just got real narrow, didn't it? There's not a lot of those, is there? There is one name by which we must be saved. There is salvation in no other name. What is that name? That name is Jesus. And no one comes to the Father except through him. We just found an eternally available invitation that is exclusive on one path. You will only find the Father on the road that is Jesus. So if we come to Jesus, what must it look like? Hebrews 11 says this, and without faith it is impossible to please God or to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. We must come by a name, what is that name? That name is Jesus Christ, and no one gets to the Father through him. And what must we do? We must know that he exists. You must believe that he, and he alone, is the one who will meet you in the darkest times of your life. He is the one who offers salvation, and he rewards those who seek him. You have to believe he exists. For so many people, they're like, yeah, the Jesus thing's okay. I will tell you now, historians will confirm Jesus of Nazareth was a real person. You know what we're not debating today? We're not debating the existence of the physical person of Jesus. What we are doing is sitting back and saying, what are you doing with him? That's the question you gotta answer. Well, Jesus didn't exist. That's actually not true. A completely atheist, secular historian will tell you, Jesus of Nazareth was a real person. We're not having that discussion. The question is, who was he to you and what are you doing with him? So final two points here, and this is really what it boils down to. This is in your notes, you can fill it out. It's God's heart that makes you unshareable with another God. And it's his word that shows us that the only way to get to him is through his son. So that kind of narrows it down. We, we don't believe all roads lead to God. And my biggest fear is that you would be distracted on a small G path, a path that would lead you somewhere that you think you're on the right direction, you think you're going the right way, but it's just not working. And so let's talk for just a second about what this road looks like, the one that goes to him. And to do that, we got to talk about the gospel. we got to talk about something that I'm very passionate about, and a friend of mine did this with me a few years back, and I just loved it. He said, Rustin, the gospel is two things, the gospel is pure and the gospel is simple and both get screwed up. And I said, well, Don, what do you mean? And he said, well, the gospel gets screwed up in two places, it gets screwed up in the church and it gets screwed up in the world. I went, well, this ought to be good. How does the church screw up the gospel? We screw up its simplicity. Romans ten nine says this. It says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, what does it say? You will. Be saved. That's not a complex gathering of thoughts, is it? It's two things. It's, do you confess with your mouth? Do you believe in your heart? Even as I'm writing this sermon, do you know what I started to do? Well, yeah, but I mean, I got about five sermons where I'd like to talk about what it means to confess with your mouth or to make him the Lord of your life. I've also got a few there I'd like to talk about what it means to believe that God raised him from the dead. What have I started to do? I've started to complicate the gospel. Because sometimes what happens is we get a little sideways on the someone coming to Jesus and the someone growing in Jesus. You see the difference? We've gotta marry the two, but we have to let that first part be that first part. It can't get any more complicated than that. At times, we sit back and we're like, well, you know, the thing that you need to understand is, if you don't understand everything from election to glorification and you can't explain the ordo salutis to me, I mean, the next thing you know, I mean, you're gonna be believing in something else and we're just gonna be completely lost. So do you understand that process? Jesus says faith of a child. What do you need to come to you? What do we need for eternal life? What does Jesus say? You need the faith like these over here, these children. You know what kids aren't doing? I got a four and a seven-year-old, they've never brought up the term ordo salutis to me. There's a simplicity to the gospel that church, we have to be so careful that we don't start to shift. And then do you know what happens with the purity? Uh, The purity comes in, and all of a sudden, what you have is the world screws up the purity. I'm just gonna be clear with you. The world comes in and they go, all right, here's the deal. Uh, Purity, gospel, great. So this is a concept that gets us to eternal life. We got some things we wanna add. We wanna bring all the major religions and we wanna put those in here because we don't wanna offend anyone. And then at the same time, we wanna bring all the philosophers because that stuff was, was pretty good. And then from there, we're kind of in an era where people need to feel good. So we'd like this thing to be marketable. And the marketing department says, bring in all the feel good language. You know what Jesus says? I didn't need either of your help. The gospel in the midst of its purity and its simplicity was perfect. Come to me. I need you to do two things. I need you to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. I need you to believe in your heart that I was raised from the dead, that I exist. Here's what I wanna do today. I wanna finish with what uh, we've kinda called just a contemplative moment. And what we mean by that is I wanna give you a moment to just think about some of this, because I've been barking at you for about 30 minutes now. And if you're anything like me, you made it a minute to just process. This stuff hit me like a ton of bricks this week. There were areas in my life where I just went, you know what, I gotta put this down or that down. I talked before about how, man, there's still selfish things in my life. And it's, it's weeks like these. I mean, again, you guys think you got it tough because I'm up here barking at you. I gotta, I gotta preach this stuff. It gets applied to my life all week. And I got a wife who's sitting just to my left who holds me accountable goes, you really wanna say that on Sunday if you're gonna act like this right now? <laughs> In the blood I am washed, Jesus. <laughs> would you guys do me a favor? Would you just bow your heads at our campuses, all of our communities? If you're at home online, would you just let the kids watch that movie for a minute, bow your head at that kitchen table? We've settled for lesser loves, We've done that in the church, we've done that out of the church. You may have been a believer for six decades and you found some lesser loves in your life today because God's good. You may have never heard that God was loving today, you don't have a relationship with him and you are wondering what on earth I'm talking about, but you heard today for the first time that God is loving, that he is merciful and when you are at your worst, he is at his best. He is for you, he will never leave you or forsake you. If you're in this room today and, and you're on the path to God, you know that there's a, a big G path and you, you know that that's the case. Maybe you were convicted of some things today. Maybe you're sitting back and it's that little closet area that you keep hidden, and you don't talk about. Maybe today's the day that you make the decision, you're gonna go find a safe, trusted place to confess and to find that healing and that restoration that has eluded you for so long. Maybe you heard hope today in that area. Maybe it's the balance issues for you. Maybe you realize that your relationship with, maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a boyfriend or a girlfriend, maybe it's something where you, you just have pre prioritize dating above all other things and realize that what God wants to do, maybe even in your marriage today, if that's where you are, that God says, listen, you have to love me more than you love him or her, or you'll never be able to appropriately love him or her the way I love you. Maybe today's the day where you give your marriage to the Lord, and you say, Lord, will you give me a deeper understanding of what it means to love them the way you love me? Maybe it's your kids, maybe their behavior, their achievements, the things that they accomplish, even the way that they feel about you has become so out of whack in your life that you've lost the objectivity of how to shepherd them and love them as the blessing that they are but under God's hand. And you need to hear the hope today. Maybe it really is. Maybe today is the day that for the first time you heard that your Bible, your doctrine or your theology is in a place in your life where it is so preeminent that you have lost the heart behind it. Maybe the spiritual territory of Scottsdale Bible Church today looks like this. Maybe it's walls coming down Maybe it's protective bricks of legalism that the Lord finally cracked your heart today and went, I am bigger than what you've been doing, will you follow me? Maybe the the spiritual ground of our church today, regardless of where you are hearing this, looks like to the Lord, my people are taking down the idols of their life and they are longing for a deeper sense of me. Church, do you know today that God honors that? That he's, again, he's not mad at you. He's just saying, maybe some of these strongholds of legalism and religion finally go away. That we cry out and we say, "I I want more of you. I want a better way. And I'm putting these handcrafted protective mechanisms down. I am taking my walls apart. And God, I am coming back brokenhearted to you. These lesser loves will not do. I was made for you and you alone, and my control or these mechanisms have been distracting me for so long. I want to give that place in my heart completely to you. And that's how God works, even in the church. He says, there's, a, there's more, there's more. Or maybe you're here today, and you just heard that message for the very first time. God's merciful. He's loving in all that he does. <laughs> I've never heard that before. Maybe you realize that the lesser loves that you've settled for were small G paths that you thought were on the road to the God of the Bible. But what you realized was, oh, I want that God so bad. I just realized I can't get to him the way that I thought I could. If that is the case today and you are longing for a loving savior, then quietly to yourself right now, would you just pray this prayer after me. God, I'm coming to you today in full recognition that I am so desperate for a loving God, that I am hungry for a God of mercy and a God of of deep understanding, one who I was made for, one who can fill me in a way that I've always been hungry for, but never been able to find. God, I'm coming to you today in recognition of the fact that I'm coming to you broken. I don't have it all figured out. That I've done all these things in my life that I'm not proud of, and that you call those things sin. And I am one who's committed those things, and so what that makes me is a sinner. And I'm coming to you and you alone to cover my sin because you're the only one who can. So I'm here today, God, to confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. I'm here today to say that I believe in my heart that God has raised him from the dead, that you exist. God, I thank you for this message, this opportunity, this invitation to come fall in love with you because you've been in love with me for so long. I pray this in your name, amen.